We're back with another edition of Making Money. The financial coach is Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead. Ron, we've, we're, we're talking about energy. We've, we've covered a broad spectrum of issues already, some of the pros and cons of renewables as opposed to other things. We want to talk about, you know, it's almost like you got to look over your shoulder and say, should I say this out loud? What about the bearish case uh, or the bullish case, if you will, for oil and gas. Let's start with the bearish case. Where do you where do we go on this? Well, I think that the bearish case or the negative case for oil and gas has been repeated over and over again. So we'll give you some highlights here. The first is political, and uh, governments are really working on banning the use of uh, oil and gas and wanting to replace it with renewable types of energy. And so, especially in Western nations, uh, you're seeing a push to try and cut back on their production. Now, as we talked about, if you get the 4 billion people in the rest of the world uh, just getting to the point where they're, they've got 15% of the energy consumption of people listening to this uh, podcast, uh, literally, it's going to be the equivalent of, of one United States of America's total energy consumption. So as more and more people get wealthier, the, the possibility of us getting renewables in some of these other places isn't uh, nearly as big as people think it is. But all eyes are focused on the political environment in Europe and especially the United States, where the big push is to, for renewables. But politically, that's very negative for energy producers in North America and Europe. I think the story that, that comes to mind for me is Germany. I mean, they made the, uh, what was the expenditure? It was several billions of dollars going to renewables, and it, it wasn't producing enough energy for them. They had to go back to using coal, which was... Yeah, you know, and that, uh, uh, all of a sudden you've seen Germans, uh, Germany's uh, energy uh, use change, and of course carbon emissions have gone up, which has uh, been a real embarrassment for them. But you know, often political policy takes you in places you don't want to go, and uh, certainly uh, political um, energy—you know—the political energy against oil and gas is currently uh, one of the reasons that we've seen, uh, literally, uh, where where that sector has been in a bear market, and one of the worst bear markets, if not the worst bear market that I've seen in my 40 years in the industry as uh, we're in the middle of right now, and that's just because nobody wants it, and everybody's trying to ban even investment companies from financing them, like banks or uh, investment pools from putting money so that they can develop it. So the political reasons to be bearish on oil and gas are big, especially in North America. Let's talk about taxation here. Well, I think the most uh, common uh, tax that uh, has been bandied about at uh, the fashionable places like Davos in Switzerland is carbon taxes. And certainly in Canada, there's a big debate and there's uh, court cases going all the way up to the Supreme Court to try and prevent that taxation from being imposed on a number of the provinces. But when you look at the amount of taxation that uh, is comes about, it makes it very, very difficult to go forward because the economics are just not there, and it cuts down in usage when you have taxes going higher. And certainly on the energy side of it, you look at in Alberta, 
carbon taxes were certainly one of the incremental things in really taking corporate profits out to the woodshed here the last five, six years. And I can't even begin to count the number of people who, during the recent cold snap we've referenced, uh, talked about what is what is going on. It is absurd that I should be taxed to heap my home to stay alive. A lot of people have a problem with carbon taxes, as I'm sure is well documented. Uh, well, you just uh, you also uh, next time you go and fill up your car, take a look at at the uh, just the taxes at the fuel pump. I mean, they're amazing. Yeah, they add up very, very quickly. That's true. Legal challenges. Boy, we've had enough of those in Canada between the disputes going on between the federal government and provincial governments or provincial governments going after each other like British Columbia and Alberta. These legal challenges have been, it seems like they never end. No, and especially uh, one of the weak links in energy production has been in pipelines. And uh, so the environmental movement has uh, been very, very effective, actually, at uh, going to uh, various levels of the courts and getting them to block the expansion of these pipelines through a virtually an endless array of one legal challenge after another. And so one just seems to get cleared up by the courts and two more appear. So it's been a very, very uh, effective strategy at blocking development because if you can't ship the stuff, then frankly, why produce it? I, I don't like to uh, tax of any kind, but the thought just crossed my mind. Gee, maybe the government should be taxing legal firms a little bit more because <laughs> they're making they're making out like bandits on these court cases. Okay, uh, a technology breakthrough in renewables would obviously have a profound impact on on oil and gas stocks. You know, and certainly as we talked about on previous shows, the technology is getting better and better, and they're finding more ways to uh, produce renewable energy. They're finding more effective ways to store it, and so that brings down prices over time. And so, you know, over the next decade, much of this technology that they're developing in renewables is going to be getting to the point where actually having renewable energy production is going to be as cost-efficient as using uh, oil and gas, but that's a ways out in the future. But each year, as this technology gets better, it chips away at the competitive advantage that oil and gas has. So we've talked about supply and demand. If demand plateaus, that's not good news either. No, and frankly, if you take a look at the International Energy Agency, their 2019 World Energy Outlook, and that's the place where everybody goes to get their economic numbers on uh, global energy supply and demand. They're saying that demand right now is around 100 to 102, 103 million barrels a day, and that it's literally going to plateau here over the next five years at about 105 million barrels a day. And then over time, they expect that to actually roll over because if we get 2 or 3% more of our electricity coming from renewables every year, like seems to be the case, over time, it's going to chip away at the uh, demand for oil and gas consumption. And over the long term, that means that the outlook for the energy industry isn't... Uh, it's one of those industries where you're going to see it decline over time. And and tied to that, I suppose, is the current situation where there's a lot of oil on the market right now. There's, I guess some could call it a glut. Uh, that That's not going to be a positive effect for the, the share prices. No, I mean, really what's happened that that's even kept oil prices as high as they are 
is certainly the United States has been very aggressive trying to block Iran from being able to ship oil. You've had the Venezuelan uh, energy export market literally collapse. At one point, they were producing 2 million barrels of oil a day, and now they're down to, I think, four or 500,000. Uh, you've got Pemex, which is the big national oil company in Mexico. Uh, they've seen their production turn south. We've got Libya, where their production is head south. And still, uh, OPEC nations have had to be really aggressive with their uh, production cuts just in order to maintain prices where they are. So there's certainly lots of oil out there, at least at the present time. And I know in that respect, Ron, that, uh, is it Saudi Arabia Amoco? Is that what they call there? Or they just really, they became a publicly traded company. And I read a lot on that and people are saying, you know, this might not be such a good play. Don't, don't jump to a conclusion that this is going to set the world on fire here. Well, there's two, two issues with, uh, Aramco. Number one, is Saudi Arabia is considered to be one of the most sophisticated players in the market. And you have to ask, why are they selling their oil right now and uh, going public with their resources and using the money to put in other things? And, well, maybe it's because they know something, and they know that over time uh, the industry is going to suffer from increased pressure from renewables and people are going to be new, using other sources of energy, and that's going to affect supply, and if, as it does, it'll affect prices. So maybe they're smarter than everyone else, and they're trying to sell at the top. Okay, so there's the, the bearish case for, for energy stocks. Let's talk, or oil and gas stocks, let's talk a little bit about the other side. Let's, let's be a little bit bullish here. Where do you stand on that? Well, over time, typically what happens is that when you underinvest in exploration, and this is what's happened not only in the United States and Canada, but globally since 2014, is that companies have just not been spending the money on exploration. And sooner or later, that catches up with you. Typically, you have demand increasing, you have a price shock, and prices head up dramatically. So you never know when that's going to happen. But since we've been underinvesting in exploration for literally six years, you know that sooner or later there's going to be a price pop in there, which is very good for prices. And the, the companies over the last little while have been focusing on paying down debt, haven't they? Well, yeah, and that's one of the good things. Energy companies were crazy for a long period of time and just taking on huge amounts of debt and chasing every deal they could possibly find and paying no matter what the price it was to acquire that asset. Well, what happened is they took on too much debt. They bought a lot of marginal properties, which frankly they overpaid for. And now they've got religion. They're focusing on paying down debt, increasing dividends, and buying back stock. And all of these are very, very shareholder-friendly activities. Okay, so, and, and I guess tied to that is they're resisting the urge to get into other stuff now. Oh, exactly. So for the first time in a lot of years, these companies are sitting down and looking at if they're going to make an acquisition or they're going to drill a hole, they're looking at to see whether there's an economic return on investment. And uh, here again, this is great news for shareholders because it means that they're only going to put money in and buy things or develop things where there's an economic return on investment, not at $140. But, you know, they're looking at being making it profitable in that $50 to $60 range or the $45 to $60 range is where they're using their numbers. 
And here again, it just simply means that they're not buying a ton of stuff that has no economic return in the future. And finding things that are consistently profitable is much, much better for not only the company's bottom line, but for share prices too. Okay, so now this next point is how does the geopolitics play into this? We know that the Middle East is, is, you know, it's a troubled part of the world and there's conflict, it seems, on a daily basis over there. So how does that factor into how we'd be bullish on this case? Well, 40% of global oil production comes from countries that are either politically unstable or unfriendly to Western consumers or, frankly, get caught up in a regional war. And for that, just think of the Middle East looked like we were on the brink of war with Iran here only a couple of, of months ago. And the uh, that cycle just keeps repeating. Uh, Iran and Iraq and Syria and Turkey and Israel and Saudi Arabia, there's a lot of dynamics there. And uh, many of these countries, frankly, have religious minorities that they just do not like each other, and they are more than willing to take each other on, on the battlefield, uh, to to take up some of their grievances. And typically, because 40% of global oil production does come from these regions, it makes it, if a big player gets taken out of the market for a period of time, it makes prices spike. So especially if you're fast on your feet, uh, these can be some pretty good opportunities for you. So you can buy, and when you get a spike in energy, you can trade these things. And you referenced this earlier on in our conversation, Ron, that this is like a five-year bear market now on oil and gas, right? That You have to think they're going to come out of the woods here sooner or later. Yeah, oil and gas companies are in their fifth year of a bear market now. Actually, we're moving into our sixth year of a bear market. So this is one of the severest pullbacks anyone can remember in the industry, and Canadian companies especially, because of lack of pipeline access and governments have been uh, federally and provincially have rather been rather lethargic of uh, trying to help that industry. Uh, these companies are trading at record lows, especially on a price to cash flow basis. So uh, there are companies that frankly have low cost reserves and they can be profitable even in that 30 to 40 uh, to 50 dollar range. And those are the kind of companies that frankly, even if prices stay within that range, they're bargains at today's prices because they're as cheap as I've seen them. Okay, so there's the bearish and the bullish case for oil and gas. You've heard both sides of it now. You have to make that decision. Well, what's my best strategy to get into the energy sector? Wait, we'll tell you, right, Ron? (laughs) Absolutely, and that's our next show. So if you want to look at an oil and gas strategy of what to do, where to look, and how to play this, that's what we're going to devote our final show of the uh, energy strategy five-part series that we're concluding next week with. Okay, so we'll be back next week with that information for you. Again, questions always welcome. You can reach Ron and myself directly through email via the cfcw.com website where Making Money is broadcast, and you'll find that link there. Or you can come right to our website, letsmakemoney.ca, and we'll be happy to address those questions in upcoming episodes. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager, I'm Gord Whitehead, retired broadcaster. We will talk to you next week. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. 
Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.